Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the first Sunday in Lent. That's February 18th, 2024. And today we're looking at the story of Moses and the plagues in Egypt. In the CPH textbook, 120 Bible Stories, you'll find this story on page 52. It covers six chapters of Exodus, Exodus chapters 5 through 10. So on the one hand, this story covers a lot of ground. At the same time, we can probably summarize this story pretty quickly. So I won't be reading all the text along, but but kind of the, the main verses along the way as we hear about Moses confronting Pharaoh and God afflicting Egypt with the ten plagues. So, God has called Moses to return to Egypt to tell Pharaoh that God says, the great I am says, let my people go. And he's given Moses a couple of different signs to show to Pharaoh, including um, throwing his staff on the ground so it turns into a snake and grabbing the snake by the tail so it turns back into a staff again. And also Moses is able to put his hand inside his robe and when he draws out it's leprous and then he puts his hand back in his robe and pulls it back out again and it's healed. So in doing so, um, the Lord is demonstrating that... uh, that he is more powerful than other gods, and in fact has authority over even life and death itself. And now it's time for Moses to confront Pharaoh. He, he's objected to the Lord that he, he's not a good spokesman, so he shouldn't be the one to do this. So the Lord also declares to Moses that he will send along Moses' brother Aaron, who's three years older, to be his spokesman. So now Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and confront him as Exodus chapter 5 begins. So we read, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh 
with the word of the Lord, also known here as the God of the Hebrews. Pharaoh refuses to listen to them or the God of the Hebrews because, one, he's Egyptian, and two, he worships Egyptian gods. And in his reality, really, uh, Pharaoh has a lot of power. He's the king of Egypt and all of its territory, and he currently holds all the Israelites as slaves. So Pharaoh has all the power, it seems, in this. He has his gods. Moses and Aaron claim to represent this one God of the Hebrews, but what match will this God be for all the gods of mighty Egypt? And so Pharaoh refuses the request to let God's people go. And while he does so, he also makes the life of the Israelites harder. He, he declares to the taskmasters that they will no longer supply straw to the Israelites, but he will force the Israelites to gather their own straw and still produce as many bricks as they had before. Now, this is um, an attempt on Pharaoh's part to embitter the Israelites against Moses. The sooner the Israelites oppose Moses as well as Pharaoh does, well, that'll make Moses miserable and most probably Moses will withdraw and stop, stop meddling with Pharaoh and the Israelites. So we have, in fact, in Exodus chapter 5, the Israelites saying to Moses and Aaron in Exodus 5 verse 21, The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So, Pharaoh isn't going to listen to Moses and the command, let my people go, because Pharaoh is is smug. He thinks he has all the cards in his hand. Meanwhile, the Israelites won't let won't listen to to Moses' word from God, that God is there to let the people go because they are despairing. So we have here an example of of the law at work, right? And and this is kind of the law of the jungle here, but but because Pharaoh is at the top of the food chain, he's smug because the Israelites are the slaves, they're despairing, but neither want to listen to God Neither want to honor Moses, who's there to speak God's word. So we read at the end of Exodus chapter 5 and verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. For you and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, 
I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So, Moses complains to the Lord in the section at the end of Exodus 5 and the start of Exodus 6 that, that um, God's word is only causing more suffering for the people. And certainly we have in here just one example among many that before the Lord delivers, his people suffer because if the people aren't suffering, there's nothing to be delivered from. So we have in this always a reminder that just because you're suffering doesn't mean the Lord does not deliver. It just means that the Lord has not delivered you yet. But there's another aspect to the suffering of the Israelites. And that is that God has made them his people to bring them out of the land of Egypt to the promised land because of his promise to Abraham. And that promise is not just about the land of Canaan. The promise is that through Abraham's line, through his descendants, all nations will be blessed because the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, will be born among those descendants. So this entire plan of freeing Israel out of Egypt to the promised land is all part of God's plan to provide the Savior, Jesus, for the world. As the Israelites dwell in Egypt, as they suffer because they are God's people, they are following in the footsteps of Jesus, who will suffer as the Messiah to set his people free. Now we talk about the disciples doing this after Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples, now apostles, follow in the footsteps of Christ. And so in this world, they suffer as Jesus suffered. And now Jesus is risen from the dead and suffers no more. And he has given life to the apostles and all of his saints who have died because uh, he has raised them from the dead to, to heaven where, where uh, suffering is no more. Likewise, you and I in this life, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we know that we will suffer in this world because Jesus suffered in this world. And when he raises us from the dead, we will suffer no more. Likewise, also the Israelites in Egypt... Those who trust in God's promises, they are following in the footsteps of Jesus long before Jesus is born of Mary and has feet to make footsteps with. But trusting in the promised Messiah who is to come, they live lives of suffering, trusting that God will deliver them too. Now, 
At this point, the vast majority of the Israelites don't trust those promises because they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron and saying, go away, we'd rather be slaves and risk making things worse. The Lord, however, remembers his promises. He tells Moses and Aaron to go and speak to Pharaoh. And so after the rest of Genesis, sorry, Exodus 6 is, is covered by a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are sent by God to speak to Pharaoh once again. So we read in Exodus 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron... 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. <laughs> so, so Moses and Aaron are not exactly young men. Moses is 80, Aaron is, is 83. But the Lord says to Moses, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Now that doesn't mean that Pharaoh is going to bow down to Moses, fearful and trembling, at least not anytime soon. But it does mean that when Moses speaks God's word to Pharaoh, it's not just Moses speaking. It's God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh is hearing God's word. So it's, it's similar in a way to the absolution where the pastor says to penitent sinners, In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. Here Moses and Aaron are saying to Pharaoh, In the stead and by the command of Yahweh, the great I am, I declare to you, God says, let my people go. Doesn't matter if Aaron and Moses are both over 80 years old. They're speaking God's word, and God's word is always effective. All right, in Exodus chapter 7 here, uh, we continue with verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. 
For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Moses and Aaron returned to Pharaoh one more time. Pharaoh says, you keep on talking about God, so prove yourself that you have some power here. And Moses directs Aaron to throw down his staff, which becomes a serpent. I think we spoke about this in the last podcast, but this is an important confrontation with Pharaoh because Pharaoh has on his head a crown called a Uraeus. And the Uraeus is a reference to the fact that on Pharaoh's crown, there is kind of a coiled cobra that's standing up, ready to strike. And that cobra is a symbol of the Egyptian god Wajit, a serpent god who rules over the lower part of the Nile, the delta where it empties into the sea, that very fertile part of Egypt that's good for growing crops and and makes Egypt kind of the breadbasket of the Mediterranean area. So when Moses throws down his staff and turns into a serpent and picks it up again and it becomes a staff again, that by itself is, is a challenge to Pharaoh, a statement that by the power of God, Moses has greater power than than Pharaoh does with his gold wadget snake on his head. In this case, Moses has Aaron throw his staff on the ground. The staff turns into a serpent. Pharaoh bids his magicians to do the same, and they do so. So now all of their staffs become serpents too. And we we don't know how they do that, whether it's trickery or, or demonic or what. But in any event, where Pharaoh can say, you have one staff that turns to a serpent, I've got a bunch of them, Aaron's serpent just swallows all of theirs, and Aaron picks it up and it's a staff again. Nevertheless, this doesn't convince Pharaoh of anything. In fact, it hardens his heart more. We should talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart because God declares that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, the Lord desires all to be saved, but he will never force anyone to be saved. When he declares, you shall have no other gods before me, he commands that not because he's insecure and needs our love, but again, he commands that because we need him. If we follow false gods that cannot save us, we're condemned. However, we can turn down his gift of grace. We can follow other gods. And if we follow other gods, we will fear those gods or love those gods or trust those gods more than we trust the one true God. And the more we fear other gods or love other gods or trust other gods, our devotion to them will grow and our hearts will harden more against God. So as God declares he will harden Pharaoh's heart, he is declaring what will happen as Pharaoh rejects God's word. As Pharaoh rejects God's commands to let his people go, he will do so in worship to false gods, 
be those Egyptians' gods or just his own authority as Pharaoh, Pharaoh's going to double down and say, I'm not going to listen to this, this Yahweh, this God of the Hebrews. And as he does so, his heart hardens. And that's a result of how God has set things in place. So that's a result of God's law. And therefore, as Pharaoh's heart hardens, we can likewise say that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. From then on then, in the rest of Exodus 7 through 10, we have the first nine plagues. The first plague, the the water, the Nile River is turned to blood. The second plague, frogs emerge out of the Nile and they hop all over the Egyptians. The third plague, there are gnats. The fourth plague, there are flies. In the fifth plague, the Egyptian livestock die. In the sixth plague, there are boils. In the seventh plague, there's hail that destroys crops. In the eighth plague, there are locusts that consume whatever crops are left after the hail. And the ninth plague, then, Egypt is thrown into darkness for three days. Now, the Egyptians are afflicted by these plagues. The Israelites are not. God is making very, very clear that he delivers his chosen people and he delivers them from these plagues while they're still in Egypt, while he afflicts those who rebel against him with judgment. And in fact, as many have pointed out, these aren't just plagues to make the Egyptians miserable, but like Moses' staff turning into a serpent to show God's power over over Wajit, the, the Egyptian snake god, The argument is often made that all of these plagues are designed to show God's power over various Egyptian gods. So, since the Egyptians worship a god of the Nile, God turns the Nile to blood and kills all the fish. Likewise, since since there is a god of the earth, God turns the dust of the earth into gnats. And the Egyptian god of the earth, of the dust, can't do anything about it, right? So, so these, uh, e- each plague can be said to defy a different Egyptian god. And since Ra, the sun god, is kind of at the top of the heap among the Egyptian gods, the ninth plague then is the plague of darkness, where um, the gods of Egypt, and especially Ra, cannot make the sun shine on the land for three days because that God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, just keeps them in darkness. Pharaoh's heart still hardens, though. And so after these nine plagues, which should convince Pharaoh that God can clean his clock... Pharaoh's final word to Moses and Aaron here in chapter 10 are, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses says, As you say, I will not see your face again. So at this point, the standoff continues. The Israelites are still slaves. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He won't let them go. God has given him plenty of opportunities to repent, to submit, 
and to turn from worshiping false gods. But Pharaoh again refuses to do so. So one more plague lies ahead. That's the Passover, the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And we'll talk about that in the next lesson. These nine plagues in this story that is really leading up to the, the, uh, the Passover next time. And so finding Jesus in this one is a little bit tough. There's not a whole lot here for, for types of Christ in, in, in this part of the story. We already did have that, that note that, um, that as the Israelites trusting in God's promises suffer in Egypt waiting for deliverance, they are following in the footsteps of Jesus who suffers for our sins before he is delivered by his father. We also have Moses who speaks God's word to Pharaoh and is like God before Pharaoh. Likewise, Aaron is a prophet who speaks God's word. Moses will later on declare a prophecy of Jesus that a prophet like him will arise from the people. So in speaking God's word to Pharaoh, Moses is a type of Christ. In speaking God's word to Pharaoh, Aaron is a type of Christ. They are bringing the light of God's truth to darkness. They are speaking God's word to repel and defeat evil and rescue his people. And in doing so, they are, they are in fact types of, of Christ who will come and deliver us from evil by his death and resurrection. Furthermore, while we this is not a, a type of Christ, it is in fact Christ himself, because the Lord who visits Egypt with these plagues, the Lord who warns of judgment, is in fact the pre-incarnate Christ. And in fact, when... Uh, when the Passover takes place, it is the Lord himself who takes the lives of the firstborn. And yet he, the only begotten son of God, will be the one who sheds his own blood to redeem his people, including all Egyptians who trust in him for forgiveness. We, uh, we had before Aaron's serpents or rather Aaron's staff turned serpent, consuming the other serpents. And this is a type of Jesus' authority and power over false gods. He defeats them all. Now, it may seem strange to describe a serpent as a type of Christ, but we'll see this again in another Bible story later, namely the story of the bronze serpent in number 21, where the people of Israel... For the rebellion are being bitten and killed by bronze or by, by serpents in the wilderness. And God tells Moses to create a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And as people look to it, they're saved. Um, that's Numbers 21. Um, and, and Jesus himself says that that serpent is a type of Christ. Um, there, in Numbers 21, the type is that Jesus um, takes our place and becomes sin on the cross to save us. I suppose that here in Exodus 7, we might argue that um, 
Well, we can boldly say that it is Jesus who, uh, who defeats false gods, and there's no question about that. He is, in fact, um, on the cross, he is, he is God who dies to defeat sin and death and devil and all false dead gods for our salvation. Could be a bit of a stretch there, but, but here's, um, here's a big stretch for this text. And that is that Moses and Aaron's staffs are made out of wood. I mean, what else would they be made out of? They're not made out of stone or glass. So we have wood. Um, and I've, I mentioned this before in another context at church that, um, that the word for wood in Hebrew and in Greek both, in the languages of the Old and New Testaments, the word for wood in Hebrew is, is an all-purpose word. It's etz. And we use the word wood like this in English too. When you look at a forest, you're looking at the woods, right? Um, so wood can be an all-purpose word for us too. So, so Aaron's staff is made of wood, so it's made of ets. And if you trace the word ets through the Old Testament, it includes the word tree, as in Deuteronomy, where the Lord declares, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. And then Paul in Galatians will say that tree is in fact the cross. So this is a bit of a stretch, but Aaron's staff is made of ets. And Jesus' cross is made of ets. And so if you're listening to this story in, in Hebrew as your first language, when you hear the word ets about Aaron's staff, Perhaps you also think of Jesus' cross. And uh, we know that Aaron's staff of wood defeats those serpents, those false gods. And Jesus' cross, his death on the cross, defeats sin, death, and devil for us. One last quick note here, a couple of catechetical connections with this text. The first three commandments are certainly at play because Pharaoh wants to be a false god in place of the one true God. He wants the Israelites to fear him more than they fear God. That's why he makes their, their work more difficult when Moses shows up because he wants to rule them by intimidation. Um, he also rejects the word of the great I am. So he breaks the second commandment. He prefers his commands over God's word. And so he breaks the third commandment as well. So there's certainly a, a connection to the, uh, the first three commandments here, even as Pharaoh gets his clock cleaned as one by one, each plague shows God's power over the gods that Pharaoh worships. Another interesting connection is, is again, the office of the keys. As Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go, it's God saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And so when Pharaoh says no, he's not saying no to Moses, he's saying no to God and provoking God's judgment and wrath. Likewise, when a pastor 
Exercising the office of the keys says to an unrepentant sinner, you are not forgiven. Your sins are still bound to you. It's not the pastor saying that. He's saying God's word. So it's God saying that to an unrepentant sinner. The sinner can get mad at the pastor and like leave that church, but God's word still holds. And likewise, when a pastor says to a repentant sinner, I forgive you in the name of Jesus, it's not the pastor forgiving sins, it's Jesus forgiving sins. And so the sinner has God's word on it that he is forgiven, and uh, that word of the Lord endures forever. What joy that God still speaks to us today through his word, through the voice of his called ministers. All right, that's a quick-ish look at the first nine plagues as Moses confronts Pharaoh with God's word and as Moses reminds Israel of God's promises, even if they don't believe them. God grant you every good gift as you meditate upon this text further. God grant you every blessing if you're teaching this to others. Until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.